Chapter twenty six of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter twenty six Facing the Raider. One day at noon, a man burst panting through the wide open entrance to the fire valley. His coat of skin was rent and hung awry, and as all could see when he staggered down the pathway, the flesh was torn from one cheek and arm, and down his leg on one side was a stain of dried blood. He was exhausted from his hurt and his run, and his talk was, at first, almost unmeaning. He was met by some of the older and wiser among those who saw him coming, and to their questions answered only by demanding Ab, who came at once. The hard-breathing and wounded man could only utter the words, "'Big Tiger!' when he pitched forward and became unconscious. But his words had been enough. Well understood was it by all who listened what a raid of the cave tiger meant, and there was a running to the gateway, and soon was raised the wall of ready stone, up built so high that even the leaping monster could not hope to reach its summit." Later the story of the wounded, but now conscious and refreshed runner, was told with more of detail and coherence. The messenger brought out what he had to tell gaspingly. He had lost much blood and was faint, but he told how there had taken place something awful in the village of the shellmen. It was but little after dusk the night before, when the shellmen were gathered together in a merry-making after good fishing and lucky gathering of what there was to eat along the shores of the shellfish and the egg-laying turtles and the capture of a huge river-horse. It had been, up to midnight, one of the greatest and most joyous meetings the shell-people had joined in for many years. They were close-gathered and prosperous and content, and though there was daily turmoil and risk of death upon the water, and sometimes as great risk upon the land, yet the village fringing the waters had grown, and the midden, the kitchen midden, of future ages, had raised itself steadily and now stretched far up and down the creek, which was a river branch, and far backward from the creek, toward the forest which ended with the uplands. They had learned to dread the forest little, the water people, but from the forest now came what made for each in all the village a dread and horror. The cave tiger had been among them. The shell-people had gathered together upon the sword fronting their line of shallow caves, and one of them, the storyteller and singer, was chanting aloud of the river-horse, and the great spoil which was theirs, when there was a hungry roar and the yell or shriek of all, men or women not too stricken by fear to be unable to utter sound, and then the leap into their midst of the cave-tiger. Perhaps the storyteller's chant had called the monster's attention to him, perhaps his attitude attracted it. Whatever may have been the influence, the tiger seized the singer and leaped lightly into the open beyond the caves, and as lightly with long bounds into the blackness of the forest beyond. There was a moment of awe and horror, and the spirit of the brave shell-men asserted itself. There was grasping of weapons and an outpouring in pursuit of the devourer. Easy to follow was the trail, for a monster-beast carrying a man cannot drop lightly in his leaps. There was a brief mile or two traversed though hours were consumed in the search, and then, as morn was breaking, the seekers came upon what was left of the singer. It was not much, and it lay across the forest path, for the cave-tiger did not deign to hide his prey. There came a half-moaning growl from the forest. The growl meant lurking death. Then the seekers fled. There was consultation and a resolve to ask for help. 
so the runner, the man stricken down by a casual stroke in the tiger's rush, was bravest among his tribe, had come to the fire valley. To the panting stranger Ab had not much to say. He saw to it that the man was refreshed and cared for, and that the deep scars along his side were dressed after the caveman's fashion. But through the night which followed, the great cave leader pondered deeply. Why should men thus live and dread the cave tiger? Surely men were wiser than any beast. This one monster must, anyhow, be slain. But little it mattered to all surrounding nature that the strong man in the fire valley had resolved upon the death of the cave tiger. The tiger was yet alive. There was a difference in the pulse of all the woodland. There was a hush throughout the forest. The word somehow went to every nerve of all the world of beast. Sabretooth is here. Even the huge cave bear shuffled aside as there came to him the scent of the invader. The aurochs and the urus, the towering elk, the reindeer, and the lesser horned and antlered things fled wildly as the tainted air brought to them the tale of impending murder. Only the huge rhinoceros and mammoth stood their ground, and even these were terror-stricken with regard for their guarded young whenever the tiger neared them. The rhinoceros stood then fierce-fronted and dangerous, its offspring hovering by its flanks, and the mammoths gathered in a ring encircling their calves and presenting an outward range of tusks to meet the hovering devourer. The dread was all about. The forest became seemingly nearly lifeless. There was less barking and yelping, less reckless playfulness of wild creatures, less rustling of the leaves and pattering along the forest paths. There was fear and quiet, for Sabretooth had come. The runner, refreshed and strengthened by food and sleep, appeared before Ab in the morning, and told his story more in detail, and got in return the short answer. We will go with you, and help you and your people. Tigers must be killed. Rarely before had man gone out voluntarily to hunt the great cave tiger. He had, sometimes in awful strait, defended himself against the monster as best he could. But to seek the encounter where the odds were so great against him was an ugly task. Now the manslayer was to be the pursued instead of the pursuer. It required courage. The vengeful wounded man looked upon Ab with a grim, admiring regard. You fear not, he said. There was bustling in the valley, and soon a stalwart dozen men were armed with bow and spear, and the journey was taken up toward the shellmen's home. The village was reached at midday, and as the little troop emerged from the forest, the death wail fell upon their ears. "'The tiger has come again!' exclaimed the runner. It was true, the tiger had come again. Once more, with his stunning roar, he had swept through the village and had taken another victim, a woman, the wife of one of the headmen. Too benumbed by fear, this time, to act at once, the shell-men had not pursued the great brute into the darkness. They had but ventured out in the morning, and followed the trail, and found that the tiger had carried the woman in very nearly the same direction as he had borne the man, and that what remained from his gorging of the night lay where his earliest feast had been. It was the first tragedy almost repeated. The little group of Fire Valley folk entered the village, and were received with shouts from the men, while from the throats of the women still rose the death wail. There were more people about the huts than Ab had ever seen there, and he recognised at once among the group many of the cavemen from the east, strong people of his own kind. As the wounded runner had gone to the fire valley, so another had been sent to the east to call upon another group for aid, and the eastern cave people, under the leadership of a huge swarthy man called Boreface, 
had come to learn what the strait was, and to decide upon what degree of help they could afford to give. Between these eastern and the western cavemen there was a certain coldness. There was no open enmity, though at some time in the past there had been family battles and memories of feuds were still existent. But Ab and Boarface met genially, and there was not a trace of difference now. Boarface joined readily in the council which was held and decided that he would aid in the desperate hunt, and certainly his aid was not to be despised when his followers were looked upon. They were a stalwart lot. The way was taken by the gathered fighting men toward where across the forest path lay part of a woman. As the place was neared, the band gathered close together, and there were outpointing spears, just as the mammoth's tusks outpointed when the beasts guarded their young from the thing now hunted. But there came no attack, and no sound from the forest. The tiger must be sleeping. Beneath a huge tree bordering the pathway lay what remained of the woman's body. Fifty feet above, and almost directly over this dreadful remnant of humanity, shot out a branch as thick as a man's body. There was consultation among the hunters, and in this Ab took the lead, while Boarface and the shell-men who had come to help assented readily. No need existed for the risk of an open fight with this great beast. Craft must be used, and Ab gave forth his swift commands. The Fire Valley leader had seen to it that his company had brought what he needed in his effort to kill the tiger. There were two great tan-tough Uru's hides. There were length of rhinoceros hide cut thickly, which would endure a strain of more than the weight of ten brawny men. There was one spear, with a shaft of ashwood at least fifteen feet in length, and as thick as a man's wrist. Its head was a blade of hard as flint, but the spear was too heavy for a man's hurling. It had been made for another use. There was little hesitation in what was done, for Ab knew well the quality of the work he had in hand. He unfolded his plan briefly, and then he himself climbed to the treetop and out upon the limb, carrying with him the knotted strip of rhinoceros hide. In the pouch of his skin garment were pebbles. He reached a place on the big limb, overhanging the path, and dropped a pebble. It struck the earth a yard or two away from what remained of the woman's body and he shouted to those below to drag the mangled body to the spot where the pebble had hit the earth. They were about to do so when from the forest on one side of the path came a roar, so appalling in every way that there was no thought of anything amongst most of the workers save of sudden flight. The tiger was in the wood, and very near an ascent had reached him. There was a flight which left upon the ground beneath the tree branches, only old hilltop and the rough boar-face, and some dozen sturdy followers, these about equally divided between the east and the west men of the hills. There was swift and sharp work then. The tiger might come at any moment, and that meant death to one at least. But those who remained were brave men, and they had come far to encompass this tiger's ending. They dragged what remained of the tiger's prey to where the pebble had hit the earth. Ab, clinging and raging aloft, afar out upon the limb, shouted to Hilltop to bring him the spear and the Uru skins, and soon the sturdy old man was beside him. Then, about two deep notches in the huge shaft, thongs were soon tied strongly, and just below its middle were attached the bag-shaped Uru skins. Near its end the rhinoceros thong was knotted, and then it was left hanging from the limb supported by this strong rope while three-fourths of the way down its length dangled on each side the two empty bags of hide. Short orders were given, and directed by Boarface. One man after another climbed the tree, 
each with a weight of stones carried in his pouch, and each delivering his load to old Hilltop, who, lying well out upon the limb, passed the stones to Ab, who placed them in the skin pouches on either side of the suspended and threatening spear. The big skin pouches on either side were filling rapidly, when there came from the forest another roar, nearer and more appalling than before, and some of the workers below fled panic-stricken. Ab shouted and frothed and foamed as the men ran. Old Hilltop slid down the tree, axe in hand, followed by the dark boar-face, and one or two of the men below were captured and made to work again. Soon all the work which Ab had in mind was done. Above the path, just over what remained of the woman, hung the great spear, weighted with half a thousand pounds of stone, and sure to reach its mark should the tiger seek its prey again. The branch was broad, and the line of rhinoceros skin taut, and Ab's flint knife was keen of edge. Only courage and calmness were needed in the dread presence of the monster of the time. Neither the swarthy boar-face nor the gaunt hilltop wanted to leave him, but Ab forced them away. Not long to wait had the caveman, but the men who had been with him were already distant. The shadows were growing long now, but the light was still from the sunshine of the early afternoon. The man lying on the limb, knife in hand, could hear no sound save the soft swish of leaves against each other as the breeze of later day pushed its way through the forest, or the alarmed cries of knowing birds who saw on the ground beneath them a huge thing slip along with scarce a sound from the impact of his fearfully clawed but padded feet as he sought the meal he had prepared for himself. The great beast was approaching. The great man aloft was waiting. Into the open along the path came the tiger, and Ab, gripping the limb more firmly, looked down upon the thing so closely, and in daylight for the first time in his life. Ab was certainly brave, and he was calm and wise and thinking beyond his time. But when he saw plainly this beast which had slipped so easily and silently from the forest, Safe though he was upon his perch, he was more than startled. The thing was so huge, and with an aspect so terrible to look upon. The great cat's head moved slowly from side to side. The baleful eyes blazed up and down the pathway, and the tawny muscle was lifted to catch what burden there might be on the air. The beast seemed satisfied, emerging fairly into the sunlight. Immense of size, but with the graceful lankness of the tigers of today. Sabre-tooth somewhat resembled them, though beside him the largest inmate of the Indian jungle would appear but puny. The creature Ab looked upon that day so long ago was beautiful in his way. He was beautiful as is the peacock or the banded rattlesnake. There were colour contrasts and fine blendings. The stripes upon him were wonderfully rich, and as he came creeping toward the body he was as splendid as he was dreadful. With every nerve strained, but with his first impulse of something like terror gone, Ab watched the devourer beneath him while his sharp flint knife, hard-gripped, bore lightly against the taut rhinoceros hide-rope. The tiger began his ghastly meal, but was not quite beneath the suspended spear. Then came some distant sound in the forest, and he raised his head and shifted his position. He was fairly under the spear now. The knife pressed firmly against the rawhide was drawn back and forth noiselessly, but with effectiveness. Suddenly the last tissue parted, and the enormously weighted spear fell like a lightning stroke. The broad flint head struck the tiger fairly between the shoulders, and, impelled by such a weight, passed through his huge body, 
as if it had met no obstacle. Upon the strong shaft of ash the monster was impaled. There echoed and re-echoed through the forest a roar so fearful that even the hunters whom Ab had sent far away from the scene of the tragedy clambered to the trees for refuge. The struggles of the pierced brute were tremendous beyond description, but no strength could avail it now. It had received its death wound, and soon the great tiger lay still, as harmless as the squirrel, frightened and hidden in his nest. In wild triumph Ab slid to the ground, and then the long cry to summon his party went echoing through the wood. When the others found him, he had withdrawn the spear, and was already engaged, flint knife in hand, in stripping from the huge body the glorious robe it wore. There was excitement and rejoicing. The terror had been slain. The shell people were frantic in their exultation. Meanwhile, Ab had called upon his own people to assist him, and the wonderful skin of the tiger was soon stretched out upon the ground. A glorious possession for a caveman. I will have half of it, declared Boarface, and he and Ab faced each other menacingly. It shall not be cut, was the fierce retort. It is mine. I killed the tiger. Strong hands gripped stone axes, and there was chance of deadly fray then and there. But the shell people interfered, and the shell people excelled in number, and were a potent influence for peace. Ab carried away the splendid trophy, but as Boarface and his men departed, there were black faces and threatening words. End of chapter 26